Special trade reaction episode of the Seven Seconds or Less podcast. My name is Max McCauley, and I'm joined by David Nash. David, we had a crazy trade last night. McDonough and Maury stunned kind of everybody, I think, by pulling off a trade where the Suns sent Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight to Houston for Ryan Anderson and DeAnthony Melton. David, what were your initial thoughts on this? I was shocked, Max. I think, like everyone, uh, I did the the refresh on Twitter a few times. Uh, double-checked that it wasn't a fake Wodge account I was getting busted by, uh, and then kind of sat there for a few minutes, you know, trying to decompress and, and work out what it all meant. And uh, that's why we're jumping on this pod, I suppose. We've we've had a little bit of time to uh, look at it now, and uh, McNinja strikes again, Max. Yeah, I, I like, just like you, I checked that Woj tweet at least three or four times. I thought it was fake for sure. I just, I couldn't believe it. Just, it didn't seem to make any sense at first, and that was my... Initial reaction to it was just like, why would either team do this, really? I mean, I'm a huge Melton fan, so we'll get into this later. I like it, but I'm also I'm just stunned that either team did this. Yeah, it just seems like one of those trades where, uh, as you said, uh, it, it didn't make a lot of sense right in the first instant, but uh, hopefully we can break it down for the listeners that have, have tuned into this and, and make some sense of it for Suns fans and uh, not going to worry too much about the Rocket side or, or why they're doing this, but... Uh, yeah, I think there's some clear wins there for the Suns and then some uh, some clear questions going forward as well, Max. Yeah, so do you want to start with the the wins maybe? Maybe go over what you think is like the, the better parts of this trade. Well, I don't know if this is a hot take or not, Max, but you know, you and I have discussed Brandon Knight quite a bit and I was never you know, feeling that great about him going into uh, the season as the starting point guard. But you know, I'll just say off the bat, I think if you're comparing Ryan Anderson to Brandon Knight, as far as what they're going to do next year to help this team. I'm taking Ryan Anderson every day of the week. Yeah, uh, the thing about Ryan Anderson, he's gotten much maligned because of his defense, particularly against you know the better teams and in the playoffs. But the Suns don't really need him in the playoffs yet, right? We're not going to be in the playoffs. So just to have someone who can space the floor, power forward with Aiton out there, you know, help help Booker up space, that's, that's huge. Exactly, and I just keep looking back and thinking back to when I cut all that film for the the TJ Warren article that I wrote, which is right. uh, now probably you know dead in the water, but that's that's fine. I think I learn a lot, uh, and I can think of a lot of times where I was watching video where Eagle was continually talking about a lifting four, and you know I was placing Ariza in there and trying to work with the pieces that we had at the time, you know someone like TJ at small forward to to work out how it was all going to work out. But now you've got Anderson in that kind of Channing Fry lifting four example that Igor quite often uses. And now I guess Ariza slides over to the three and you've got, uh, you know, two legitimate shooters now rather than having to play those funky lineups and come up with, uh, you know, the the funky ways that I was trying to come up with to, to make it all work in a starting five. So uh, it, it's pretty exciting from that point of view. There's obviously the defensive issues, as you mentioned, 
Um, but as far as getting wins for this this Suns off season, they they continue to uh, add shooting, which was a, a major negative for this team last season, and and you know something that Booker struggled with not having around him, and uh, you know they're building a bit of a squad, Max. Yeah, it should be a prettier team to watch, I think, out there. Because Brandon Knight, I mean, we had hope that he'd get better. But historically, he's not been the, the most fun guy to watch, right? Not the most pleasant guy to watch. Very selfish player. Took a lot of long twos. Uh, and then, like you said, having Ryan Anderson out there is just going to make the whole offense run better. So I think it's going to make the team a little more fun to watch. It is kind of annoying that we spent so much time talking about who's going to start at small forward and a reset the four when you know none of that stuff's going to happen anymore. But uh, let's turn to Melton. I don't think you've seen as much of Melton as I have, but what were your initial reactions to the Suns acquiring Melton? Uh, I was going to throw this one to you because, as you, as you said, you, we both had Melton on our radar uh, pre-draft, and you know I, I listed him in that group of, of you know really perfect Booker partners. Uh, not the top of the group, but he, he was certainly in there. But you were definitely higher than on, on him than I was, Max. So you know why don't you break it down for the listeners? Is he the prize of this trade, do you think? In my view, he is. He was, I think I had him, I can't remember exactly where I had him on my big board before the draft, but it was like 11 or 12 or 13, mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, the thing about him is like, it's not just projection with him. I think some people sometimes project tall, strong, lengthy guards to be good defenders just based on their physical attributes. But Melton, that guy's already an insanely good defender. His instincts are off the charts. Like he has those instincts where he can just jump passing lanes like we wouldn't expect it, and where he just can just like kind of predict where people are going to go when he's guarding mm-hmm. them. He has those talents you can't really teach on defense, which is so huge, particularly for point guard defense. Um, the thing on him, the rub's always been the offense, right? The shooting, although it, the offense, like the playmaking, is actually pretty good. It's really more the shooting. It, he could not shoot at all, especially near at USC. Obviously, he was suspended last year for his sophomore year at USC for reasons that were. Incredibly dumb. But uh, at Summer League, he looked a lot better with the shot. Uh, he's, I've heard he's looked better in workouts and stuff. So, Although, uh, I think Evan Sider, our friend, told us he airballed a couple threes at the Suns workout. So, apparently that wasn't enough to dissuade them. Yeah, if one of those guys that I think has been in the gym with Drew Hanlon, if I remember correctly. and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Yeah, he did show out at Summer League. I think he still shot, you know, sub 40% overall from the field, but... You know, 16 points per game, seven rebounds, four assists, and three uh, steals. So, you know, he he's a the, the kind of guy that we you know you and I uh, coming up later in this in this podcast actually you know talked about a lot in terms of the type of guys that suit well next to Devin Booker. And you know, it, it's funny, Max. You know, you, you mentioned you had Melton quite high on your board, so I can't remember where you had a Kobo, but you know, with Bridges and Aiton, I imagine the Suns now have you know, four guys that you maybe had inside the top 20 on your pre-draft board. Yeah, I think I had a Kobo around 20. Melton and Bridges, like, maybe two or three spots apart, maybe four spots. So, like, I view uh, Melton as being almost as good of a prospect as Mikel Bridges. So that's why I'm, I'm so high on this trade, really, overall. Yeah, and we should mention, Max, that uh, he's actually unsigned right now. So as far as the logistics of this trade go... Uh, the Suns have essentially traded for his rights. Uh, there's there's mm-hmm. no contract there at the moment. Uh, the Suns will have to work something out there with Melton. And, uh, you know, there's uh, Jeff Siegel. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. He's a great follow on Twitter for cap stuff. And he's noted that there's a certain order that way that the Suns can do this to make sure that they get one of those team-friendly uh, three or four year contracts with Melton and and hopefully lock him up as a, a long-term piece uh, as part of this young core, which is... Getting bigger and and getting younger, Max. 
It really is. So you think they're they're more likely to go the Kobo-ish route of giving him sort of like a quasi-first-round deal? Or do you think they're more likely to give him a traditional second-rounder deal or even a two-way? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've kind of I floated the two-way last night on Twitter and got some pushback on that just because there's a lot of people on draft Twitter and NBA Twitter that are quite high on Melton and uh, you know, mm-hmm. they push back thinking, you know, th- the team would be better placed to get that three or four year locked in deal, which, you know, I-, I was kind of saying to that, you know, that can be the end goal here. But, you know, as we've noted plenty of times, the Suns are in a little bit of a roster gymnastic situation just at this moment. So I wouldn't be totally surprised if they give Melton that kind of wink, wink, Mike James two-way deal but Mm -hmm. uh yeah i think if they can get off arthur or or make another two-for-one type deal that frees up a roster spot uh you know melton should probably get locked into a a longer term deal because you know there's there's a lot of smart people that are quite high on him and uh you know i think maybe that season that he did miss in college as you mentioned is one reason that he slid so far because i remember around draft time people were, were very surprised that he fell just that far in the draft and uh, there's a lot of people, I guess, overnight that have have praised the trade from the Suns' point of view uh, to to pick him up uh, off the Rockets. Yeah, I think you made an important point there that this is there's sort of a draft Twitter NBA people divide here. I think because Melton, what was it, the 46th pick or something like that, Houston got him with. Yeah. The Suns even passed on him with number 31 overall. So everyone's saying that it would be crazy to sign him to a two-way. I think he's looking at this from a not a league perspective, but like a draft Twitter perspective. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to get into is you, you kind of brought up another trade being possible, and I think it's worth noting that Woj kind of implied that the Suns are going to try to trade for a starting caliber point guard. So I, maybe Suns fans shouldn't get too attached to Melton because it wouldn't be the most surprising thing in the world if his rights were in a trade like that. Yeah, it wouldn't be surprising if his were or, or one of the other Suns young guys that we're talking about here is, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we've touched on a couple of pods in, in this series where, uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, there, there's only so many guys you can attach yourself to because if if you want to get better and this team's been quite bad, you know, those guys are going to get thrown in trades every now and then. So, you know, <laughs> when I saw this trade, I, I, I really just kind of thought to myself, you know, Booker and Aiton are probably the untouchables right now, and everything else builds around that. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see even a Josh Jackson, a Mikael Bridges, uh, you know, anyone get thrown in the right deal because, uh, you know, when you when you have that much young top end talent, it's about making the right deal at the right time. Uh, I wouldn't advocate for a deal like that. I, I'm very impressed actually with the front office in the fact that they are building a, a more competitive team for next year without actually throwing away too much of their kind of future assets. I guess it depends where you sit on a guy like Marquise Chris, but you know, we only just recently discussed on the power forward pod that, you know, I was really only ever projecting his ceiling to be a kind of bench backup five guy going forward. So, and that's another note here with, with McDonough, you know, he made that big trade for Marquise Chris and uh, you know, he's walking away from that now and uh, he's copping a little bit of heat for that. I've seen online, but uh, you know, I kind of think it, it shows a bit of maturity in him as a GM. He, he's kind of recognized his mistakes and, and isn't uh, afraid to move on uh, from both he and Brandon Knight, who probably go down as his two worst deals as the Suns GM, Max. So uh, it, they might this move and, and any that come after will probably define 
you know, whether McDonough keeps going down in, in one direction or, uh, you know, maybe those deals are, are forgotten long term because of some of these newer ones that he's made. I could not agree with you more. It's so important to have a GM who understands the sunk cost fallacy. Like, what? yeah, you, you're, you paid a lot for Brandon Knight. You paid a lot for Marquise Chris. But if you just hang on to him for that reason, you're just hurting yourself even more, right? You're just throwing bad, good money after bad money. So exactly. very glad that McDonough's willing to move on from his mistakes like that. Although I will anno- it's a little annoying. So some people have reacted to this by saying, oh, Marquise Chris, going to go to Houston, be a seal, going to be awesome. Like, you people were saying that Marquise Chris can't even be in the league. He's going to go to the Guangdong Tigers. Now he's going to be awesome all of a sudden because he's not in the Suns anymore. It's, it's a little bit annoying. It is a little annoying. I'm not going to lie. You know, it is always a little bit apprehensive sending a guy like that and even Brandon Knight to a smart team like Houston. But uh, yeah, I think it was time for for both of those guys to move on. Um, And and this trade, you know, time will tell. But, uh, you know, how Anderson performs next year and and how Knight performs too. We haven't touched on him too much. And uh, there's a lot of this podcast that's going to go uh, after our reaction here that that ended up getting dumped where you and I talked you know quite extensively on Brandon Knight. But you know whether he's even healthy is going to be a, a big major factor in uh, you know how this trade is maybe viewed in 12 months' time and and maybe the Suns for just a little bit more extra salary uh, this year and next are, are getting a more viable player in their starting five. Uh, you, you noted Wodge tweeted about the point guard situation. He also tweeted that uh, Ryan Anderson will be the starting four for the Suns. Mm-hmm. So uh, Wodge is tweeting uh, lineup announcements now, it seems, and, and we get all of our news from him. Yeah, he has, he's got a nice connection with McDonough. Huh? They're having a long chat about how the team's going to look. Yeah. Speaking of Wodge's nuggets, one of the things in his article was that the Suns just love Shaq and want to get him more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess kind of a two-part question. Do you think that this trade, first of all, is indication that the Suns thought Shaq is just better than Brandon Knight? And then second of all, do you think Shaq's pinned to be the starter? I guess right now you would have to say Shaq is the starter, um, but we can't ignore what Woj tweeted, and I definitely don't think we can ignore that uh, you know, the next move before the start of the season, or, or hopefully even before camp, might be a starting caliber point guard, but... You know, uh, I'll tease again that the pod coming up after this, we, we delve into Okobo and Shaq quite a bit in terms of, you know, how they might project forward as starters next to someone like Devin Booker. But, you know, to answer your question, Max, I and, you know, we kind of said this at the top, I think it just has more to do with the fact that the Suns, you know, as I said, even at a little bit more cost, are a little bit more comfortable that Ryan Anderson's going to be a positive piece for them going forward mm-hmm. than what Brandon Knight was going to be. And, you know, right now, who are we to doubt that? They they have all the intel on Brandon Knight. Uh, and, you know, it, time will tell, as I said, with how he performs on the Rocket. So, you know, I'm still rooting for him to, to get back and being a capable uh, NBA player. But, you know, we've touched on it quite a lot. I, I wasn't very excited about it being as the, the Suns starting point guard this year. And uh, I'm not going to lie, I, you know, I'm excited by a move by this because of what it, what else it might mean. Yeah, to me, I agree with you. It screams that they just didn't view the night to Shaq as much of a drop-off, if, if any drop-off. And mm-hmm. they also thought that neither Chris nor Bender was going to be able to start at the four. And I, th- I guess they didn't want to start at the at the four. They, it seemed like they desperately wanted a, a starting uh, caliber power forward. Uh, which I think so. That's the interesting thing, right? Because most people on Twitter, at least uh, Suns Twitter in our, in our circles, were more more talking about Melton last night. But I think from the Suns' perspective, this deal is actually a lot more about acquiring Ryan Anderson. 
yeah, as I said, I, I, I've kind of spent the last few hours, uh, you know, this is all happening in a 24 hour day period for right. me, me in Australia. I haven't slept yet. So, you know, I've been, I've been thinking about this from Anderson's perspective quite a bit and, and how much he might be able to help this team. Uh, you know, a lot of the jokes were made about his defense and, and things like that, but he's still a, you know, career 38% shooter from three and he's going to space the floor. And, you know, one thing that I did think of Max is kind of, you know, it's funny how, you know, we as fans and, and people who follow the team quite closely, uh, you know, try and draw the links. And, you know, the, the sun said that they needed a starting power forward and then they went out and, and signed Trevor Ariza. So we automatically kind of, you know, made this story of, of how Ariza is going to be the starting power forward. And now this trade's made and we're kind of sliding Ariza down to the three. And now there's a, a log jam of, you know, Mikhail Bridges, Josh Jackson and, and TJ Warren. And then everyone then kind of moves on to, all right, we've got to move TJ Warren to get that starting point guard. So, you know, th- this is all part of the fun of being an NBA fan and, and particular a Suns fan. But yeah, I think Anderson is an interesting one. You know, I noted it late last night on Twitter, uh, you know, we're kind of looking at Houston 2.0 here. You and I have spent a, a, quite a bit of time, and uh, the the recent pod with Josh was one example where we spoke about Booker as a hardened type player. And uh, mm. now now the Suns have both Ariza and Anderson probably in a starting lineup with Booker. Uh, you know, Beverly's a guy that we've spoken about quite a bit as maybe a, a starting point guard next to Booker. So, you know, they're kind of looking at that Houston blueprint maybe here, Max. Yeah, I think they absolutely are. Uh, one thing about Ryan Anderson, his his pure three point percentages might not tell you this. Even watched a lot of Houston, is he doesn't just space the floor to three point line. That guy's routinely shoots three pointers from like three feet behind the three, uh, three point line. He's knockdown shooter. He might be one of the best. He definitely is one of the best power forward shooters in the NBA. So if you're trying to space the floor with Booker and Aiton, I, I think you found the almost a perfect power forward to do that. Defensive questions aside. And yeah, so Ryan Anderson will shore up the starting power forward. And David, it seems like that we finally have the answer to the question. I treated this last night. We never have to talk about this anymore. But Bender versus Chris, at least the Suns have answered the question. Yeah, and I, I would say that the other question around Bender's option is probably answered here too. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I would be very surprised to see the Suns both trade away Marquise Chris and, and decline Bender's option. So... Uh, another thing that we've discussed recently, Max, which we should get some clarity on, probably not for a little while given when the deadline is, but yeah, I think we can expect Bender to be around long term uh, and maybe be the, the next Ryan Anderson because, you know, he's not going to be around forever and, uh, you know, the, the Suns are building those kind of understudies, you know, under this veteran lace team now uh, around Booker and Aiton. But Max, how about we end with a little uh, short edition of seven seconds or less? I'm, I'm going to make it a very strict seven seconds for you here and uh, we're not allowed to go over as we normally do. Uh, I'm pulling on the uh, seven seconds or less questions that uh, we actually had tied into this episode originally and uh, I've, I've mixed them up a little with this trade. So are, are you game? I'm absolutely game. I have to follow the rules for one, so I'm nervous. <laughs> All right, Max. So the first question, uh, and I will credit Chris Hansen with this because we didn't credit him uh, when we went over the questions the first time because we actually forgot he was the one that came up with the question. Sorry, uh, Chris. But Nash as point guard in this team now with Anderson in that Channing Fry type role, how many extra wins would you place for the Suns this upcoming season? Oh my God, the spacing. That offense would be awesome. I'd, they'd be in the mid-40s, I think, at least. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there. And, and 
uh, bonus points for sticking to the time there. <laughs> so straight into the second question, Max. The uh, original question here that you threw me was any point guard from any era to add to this team uh, with Booker, but I'll, I'll change that slightly, and, and you're not allowed to have Steph Curry like you said last time. You can take one point guard for this team currently uh, that's currently in the league right now. Who do you take? I can't take Steph Curry, you said? You cannot. Oh, I only have seven seconds and I'm blinking. Um... Let's bring on Chris Paul. He works with Harden. That'd be do some nice defense. Just keep that Houston 2.0 going, eh? Right. And you said just currently, right? So I don't think about going forward just this season. Yep. It's Chris Paul, just to be clear. <laughs> All right, Max. Question number three. Last time it was around Knights, Okobo, and Shaq and the All-Star game, which the listeners will hear a little later. But I'm going to mix it up with this one. Going forward, who do you have the most confidence will be a starting caliber point guard next to Devin Booker. De'Anthony Melton, Shaquille Harrison, or Ali Okobo? It's definitely De'Anthony Melton for me. As I said, I had him ranked very highly in this very good draft class. I think he's a special defender. If all, if all he has to do is add the shot, and he's going to be really, really good. I am not surprised by that answer at all. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think he would be. So, as you've been mentioning, we recorded a podcast on the point guard position. Uh, this news obviously kind of threw everything into flux, so we had to record... A little something on the trade beforehand, but we're now going to transition you into what our podcast was last week. As David mentioned, we cut out the Brandon Knight part because it's no longer relevant, but we kept the discussion of Shaquille Harrison and Elia Koba because they're obviously still on the team. We also dive into the 2019 free agency and draft classes for the point guards, so that should also be relevant. Uh, David, anything else we need to disclaim before we move on? No, that's pretty much it, Max, and uh, I'm glad we can keep a lot of that stuff. It's probably the first time since starting this podcast we've had to deal with a a time-sensitive thing like this, Uh, but as I said, I'm glad uh, that the listeners can still enjoy a lot of the discussion that we did have in that recording because some of it is probably even more relevant now after this trade, Max. Yeah, that's a good point. They're definitely looking for something long-term now. Enjoy, guys. We're going to be talking about the point guard position today, and specifically we're going to ask the question, can the Suns get adequate point guard play this season? It's been much debated on Twitter, it's been much debated between David and myself. Uh, and after that, if we're going to decide that they can't get it, or that they just can't get good enough play, we're going to talk about what they might be able to add this season, and also what they might be able to add going forward. I think there's just really two other major options here, and it's Shaq Harrison, who was awesome in Summer League, and great at the end yep. of last year, and who it sounds like has really impressed the team. And then Elliot Kobo, who they took number 31 overall, but gave him a four-year guaranteed contract, treated him basically as a first-round pick. So let's start with Shaq. What do you think about him? Do you think he could become the starter? It's a good question, and and something that we should probably throw back to what we just ended on with Brandon Knight there. I don't see Shaq uh, projecting as a starter this season. Um, Maybe more longer term, you know, I've got some kind of points here in terms of he could maybe turn into a Patrick Beverly type in in the longer term. But if we're talking purely about the 18-19 season, yeah, I, I would throw Shaq in that same conversation. He may not start games, but I could certainly see situations where Shaq's defense in particular is needed to to close games to shut the opposition point guard down. And, you know, I, I think, Max, is, is it a stretch to say that we might see Shaq finish more games at point guard than maybe he starts? That's really interesting. Uh, yeah, if, yeah. If, if the answer is more than he starts, yeah, I think that's probably going to be the way it goes. I don't think he's ever going to start. 
But yeah, it's possible. But like you said, I think that if, especially if the other team has a really good perimeter player, like say we're playing against, I don't know, say we're playing against the Houston Rockets, and for once in our in our goddamn team's lives, we're actually in the game. Uh, although I guess we were in the game with Josh Jackson that crazy game. But anyway, so just say we're in that in that situation, and you know Chris Paul is cooking. You know he's 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 playing awesomely. I could totally see them being like, hell, we need we need Shaq out there. You know, there's no other way we're gonna be able to guard these guys because Shaq is. It's not just Suns fans' homerism. Shaq Harris's defense has gotten a lot of notoriety around the league. I think Cole Zwicker, a friend of the podcast, uh, Nate Duncan, not a friend of the podcast, but still like him. <laughs> they both pointed out how just how awesome he was in summer league, and how much fun it was to watch the guy play defense. And that's an incredibly valuable skill, especially next to someone like Devin Booker, who, as everyone knows, a bit of a questionable defender. Yeah, and I think we've we've noted it a couple of times on our pod before. It, it we particularly with young guys. I think we spoke about it with Bender last. Is it's all about having an NBA ready skill and getting yourself on the floor, and then allowing you know certain other aspects of your game to develop around that. And and that's the thing with Shaq. His defense is ready to play on an NBA floor, kind of right away. And, you know, not to bring up bad memories of the Earl Watson era, but, you know, we saw this with someone like Derek Jones Jr., who Earl Watson kind of threw out to to guard, you know, Russell Westbrook in certain scenarios. And, um, you know, I think that's what we might see with Shaq. He might be kind of a... Uh, a platoon guy, 10, 15 minutes a night that you throw out there. Um, maybe some other nights he won't play at all, but he'll kind of be out there to pester guys and get the likes of Russell Westbrook into like a one-on-one matchup that they're really worried about and that they want to try and you know overtake a, this guy that they've never heard of, um, and he can kind of get teams mm-hmm. out of their rhythm. I think that's the role we're going to see Shaq in. And then it's about whether he can, you know, develop some of those things around the game. So his playmaking as a point guard and, you know, particularly his off-ball shooting. As we noted, Booker's going to be taking a lot of the ball in these situations. And for Shaq to be valuable on the court on offense, he's probably going to have to at least be able to hit, you know, a, a wide-open corner three. But the signs in Summer League were promising, Max. What what did you kind of take away outside of his defense from his Summer League play? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I thought his playmaking was pretty bad. It was okay, but, you know, he was on the court a lot with Aiton, and, you know, we can't say that Aiton suffered from bad point guard play without pointing out who the point guard yep. was, right? Um, but, you know, he wasn't terrible. I think he averaged a few assists a game. He made sort of the easy passes. He didn't, he didn't really create much. He just kind of takes what's there. Uh, in terms of shooting, I was pretty encouraged. I thought the, the ball looked better out of his hands than it did last season. I also heard, I think this is also on the Dunked On podcast, that he supposedly killed it at a camp after shooting the ball, after summer league, apparently yep. it was just awesome. If, if he can add a reliable three-point shooter in space of four, it's going to go a long way towards making him really valuable because a 3 and D guard is kind of exactly what you want with Devin Booker, particularly if Devin Booker takes another playmaking step. I mean, it, say that Shaq adds a 38% three-point shot and Devin Booker, you know, is up to, you know, six and a half, seven assists a game, uh, low turnover ratio. I mean, then you kind of want them closing games together, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as you know, I, I watched kind of every pick and roll possession from Summer League uh, again, uh, yeah. two or three times. And, you know, I think those early entry passes to Aiton maybe blind us a little bit on the point guard play, particularly of Shaq Harrison. I think he actually ended up averaging like 6.6 assists 
over the the whole tournament, which is you know pretty impressive oh, wow. and and by far the most assists on that Suns team. And you know particularly in the pick and roll, he made some pretty clever passes, um, and he kind of got to the rim at ease as well. Which you know as I noted with Aiton, he was a a big reason for that. Uh, the gravity that he possesses allowed guys like Shaq to attack the rim and. You know, as you said, he shot it pretty well. I think he was forty-five percent overall at summer league, and you know, pretty small sample size here. But he was, you know, four of nine from three as well. Which, you know, you can only hit the shots you're asked to take, and uh, the signs are at least a little bit encouraging there from summer league, and and hopefully something for him to build on. Because, you know, as I said before, and a guy we might touch on, you know, very much later in this pod is is Patrick Beverly, and you know, I think the the comp certainly there. Uh, Shaq's a little taller than Beverly, but you know Beverly has that ridiculous six-seven wingspan and is quite a capable NBA defender. And you know he was kind of the first uh, major partner for for James Harden in, at, on the Rockets. You know they eventually moved away from him because they needed a little bit more playmaking. But you know he's the as you mentioned the kind of archetype. If if Booker is the that kind of guy that you're looking to go with, Shaq certainly got the game uh, to build on to become that guy next to him. I love that comp. That's a really nice one. Uh, I'm not sure Shaq has quite the nastiness, although he, you know, he gets into people because Beverly, you know, he's the nastiest player in the league. Yes, and that's that's what I love about him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'd love to have him next to Booker because we could use a little bit of that there. But uh, that's, a, that's a really nice comp, though. I think that Suns fans who want to know what kind of what the upside of Shaq Harrison is, I think that's a great a great person to point to is, is Patrick Beverly. And as you pointed out, he was awesome next to Harden. And I don't think they would have traded. So here's the thing. Of course, they're going to trade him for Chris Paul. Chris Paul is awesome. He's one of the best 10 players in the league. Exactly. But I don't think they would have traded Beverly for somebody of Chris Paul's skill set who was like around Beverly's value, right? Because that's kind of what you want next to Harden is Beverly unless you have a superstar. Yeah, you don't you don't miss a lot of Beverly's things with Chris Paul coming in, obviously, because he does a lot of other things a lot yeah. better. Um, and, you know, Chris Paul's an amazing defender at his height uh, already on his mm-hmm. own. So, yeah, I think obviously the Rockets were never going to not do that uh, trade. Um, but yeah, I think that's a good point. I, d- I don't know how many other point guards there were in the league uh, that was going to tempt Daryl Morey into making that decision because I think they were, you know, they were pretty happy with Patrick Beverly as the the Harden partner, and and that's the kind of guy we should be looking to to place with Booker, I think. But you know, should we move on to a Kobo Max? Yeah, let's move on to a Kobo who is it's going to be probably the more difficult of these three guys to talk about just because we've seen him less. Uh, his summer league was interesting. His first game was awesome and, and very exciting. Uh, he showed, I'd say, displays of passing acumen that I don't think maybe either Knight or Harrison have. Yep. Uh, he also, you know, he can score. I mean, the guy went off for, what was it, 42, 43 points in the fringe playoffs? Yep. So there's there's definitely more upside, I would say, I think, to Okobo than to the other guys. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think there's definitely more upside there, but he had a, a significantly worse summer league. Uh, he, he is a rookie and did cop an injury as well, which was really disappointing. It kind of saw mm-hmm. him miss all of that game that had happened in and then uh, a whole nother extra game that they could have maybe thrown him out there. But I think Shaq clearly was the priority there because of his contract situation and and Okobo might just take a little longer to uh, to evaluate. But yeah, I think it's a good point. I don't think we'll see him kind of starting or anything this year. Um, Kind of as we noted with Bridges, there's probably enough young guys going to be in the starting lineup already. So these guys are going to have to earn their minutes in, in the second unit. But I was probably most encouraged because, you know, my big negatives on Okobo kind of scouting him pre-draft with it, he was a little bit of a chucker and maybe a little erratic. You know, it was very clear and there was even some quotes out of Summer League that 
you know, Okobo's main priority was really executing what Igor wanted to run. And that was kind of what I was most impressed with because you definitely saw it out on the court. It didn't come across in his stats. His his stats were actually quite poor at the end of the day. But the eye test stuff, which is why that's also still important, was definitely there with Okobo. What do you think? Yeah, he didn't shoot well, but whatever. It's a small, it's a very small sample size. I don't really care if someone doesn't shoot well in summer league. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but like you said, I totally agree with you. I, I love seeing... So I think... We were all kind of worried he was going to come in and, and just be the shucker guy. I think that was the big... Because that's kind of his reputation from Europe. But I, I think I totally agree with you. And I'm not surprised. I didn't hear those comments, but I'm not surprised that he said that. Because I, that's exactly what I saw from him, particularly in Game 1. He was very interested in giving, uh, getting everyone else involved. And I actually thought, maybe the stats don't back this up. Maybe your, you know, a couple of rewatches don't back this up. But it seemed to me that Aiton played the best when he had a Copa with him on the floor. That's just sort of an anecdotal thing, but that's kind of what I saw. It was definitely a better two-man game, I think, with those guys, for sure. Uh, and as you said, we didn't get to see it a hell of a lot, which was disappointing. We may, we may get to see it a little bit more in the season proper because you know, I think Igor will definitely throw the lineups around a little bit and maybe even play Aiton with the second unit a little bit if he's, he's struggling on a particular night uh, uh, with the starters. So... Yeah, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. But I'll throw this to you, Max. We've kind of touched on it a little bit already, but in terms of style, you know, they've both got that kind of uh, size. You know, they both are, I'd say, around 6'3", with the kind of 6'7", 6'8", wingspan. But, you know, we've noted kind of different games, at least of what we know of them right now. So, you know, at their absolute ceilings for both of them, which one do you actually think is the better partner for Booker in a long-term backcourt? That's really interesting. You know, I hate to make a cop-out here, but it really just depends so much on, on the development of both. Particularly Shaq's three-point shooting is just so huge. I don't think... If Shaq is never going to be a real shooter, he's going to shoot around 30% or whatever from three for his whole career. I just... For me, I don't think you can have a guy like that around Booker. I, if I'm trying to optimize Booker, who is, let's, let's be honest, he's going to, even if he improves on defense, Booker's an offensive player. You're going to want to have people around him who can shoot the hell out of the ball because that's how you space the floor. That's how you make him as, as good as he could possibly be. You know, Devin Booker will never be LeBron and you know, he may never be hardened, but he's still someone who you're going to optimize by having shooters around him who can space the floor. And if Shaq can't do that, then I don't think he's a long term guy. He's more of a backup. Okobo, we're not even sure if Okobo can play in the NBA yet. I think we're more sure that Shaq can, right? Okobo's just so tough. He's almost as much of a mystery box as anybody because he's, you know, he's a European guard who we haven't seen play against NBA talent very much besides a few summer league games. So maybe if you're, t- if you're asking me for their absolute peak, I'd probably just go with Okobo just because of his age. Like maybe Okobo just blows up on both ends of the floor because as you said, similar profile. Maybe he plays defense. He hasn't really yet from what I've heard in Europe, but maybe he does in the NBA. So I guess the answer is Okobo, but it's a tough one. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think I definitely agree with you there and, and lean Okobo kind of longer term. Yeah, I think he's got less in his game that he needs to make up for uh, to be a good partner with Booker. And, you know, one thing I'll note with the Beverly comp is as much as I like it with Shaq Harrison, I think Beverly was quite a good shooter from three in college. And, you know, Harrison's therefore kind of really starting behind the eight ball um, from that standpoint. And the playmaking stuff is probably more in comparison to, to Beverly out when he came out of college. With Kobo, you know, can he be the defender? We've noted he's he's got the size. So, you know, maybe it is more just an application thing. And uh, as we saw in France, he was very much a kind of primary option. So, 
Um, can he round those things out in his game when he's next to someone like Booker and, and become you know, more dominant on in, in other aspects of his game. So that'll be an interesting thing for Suns fans to watch going forward between those two. But whilst I'm a little panicky about this season itself, there's definitely some options there going forward at point guard for the Suns. And uh, it, it's nice to have some projects building underneath Max. So let's go ahead and get into the 2019 for agency uh, point guard class. Because I think you and I both agree that while it's possible they can get some adequate point guard play this season, it's probably a very big long shot they have their starting point guard on the roster. Maybe a Kobo, but we both agree it's probably not going to come from this roster right now. Yeah, definitely. They need, they need to be looking elsewhere longer term, Max. Fortunately for them, the 2019 free agency point guard class is stacked. I'm just going to read it off to you, okay? Go for it. Kyrie Irving, Kimball Walker, Eric Bledsoe, Ricky Rubio, Goran Dragic, player option, Jeff Teague, player option, Spencer Dinwiddie, D'Angelo Russell is a Richard free agent. Tyus Jones, restricted. DeLon Wright, restricted. Terry Rozier, restricted. Malcolm Brogdon, restricted. Patrick Beverly's free. George Hill has like a $2 million guarantee. Probably I think that they're going to cut him. Jeremy Lin, Darren Collison, Corey Joseph, and your favorite player, Mila Seodosic. <laughs> so not all those names are guys we target, right? Like, So the Suns are not going to go after Eric Bledsoe, obviously. The Suns are not going to probably sign Kyrie Irving, we can say. It's, you know, it's a long shot possibility, but it's probably not going to happen. But names like that push down. You know, they'll get signed by somebody, and thus the other names will be available. It's just it's an incredibly deep crop of free agents that just wasn't uh, uh, you know they weren't possibilities this summer yeah exactly and and kind of looking at that list I put them into kind of three main groups I think Max and okay and and the top group would be guys like Kyrie Kemba maybe even Jeff Teague if he opts out who I think is kind of universally un- underrated as a point guard interesting and then so wait let's go into that let's, real quick let's stop on Jeff Teague so I think Jeff Teague's a good player but do you think he's a good fit with Devin Booker uh I think he's a pretty you know decent pass first point guard who's you know rather unselfish and has in a couple of different teams uh, and, and a couple of different franchises kind of sacrificed his role a little bit to the better of the team so from that standpoint I see him as quite a good fit I don't think he's a perfect fit um, and and I don't know whether you would kind of throw the throw the book at him, so to speak. But yeah, I think there's enough there to suggest if the Suns really were looking to get better, and he was the one that was willing to come to Phoenix. I, I don't think I would say no to it. What about you? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I don't think it's pervert. He's not. A, he's like an okay defender, I guess. Like kind of like an, a little below averageish, and he's like kind of the same shooter. He's like maybe an averageish shooter. So he's not perfect, but as you said, he's you know he's a pass first kind of guy, team player. It's okay. It's not something that you're excited about, but it's fine. Yeah, so then the second group for me, Max, is probably a few guys that bring maybe different things that you would maybe target, and that's uh, someone we discussed before in Patrick Beverly. I think you know he brings a different style of point guard, so you might go after someone like him. Uh, another guy is a completely different style who Igor is obviously familiar with is, is a guy in Ricky Rubio. Uh, you know, I've got Goran Dragic on this list just in terms of being a different style point guard. Not that the Suns uh, may go there, but you know, he's... well, he also has that connection with Igor too. Yeah, so he definitely sits in that group. And then, as much as I don't really want the Suns to to look at restricted free agents, I've got Terry Rozier on this list just because I think his upside and what he might do this year on on the back of his playoffs last year is is worth kind of looking at and keeping an eye on. So that's kind of my second tier, Max, in terms of probably still need to upgrade the position if the Suns really want to make a playoff push, for instance, in 1920. So what about 
here's here's a couple guys that I think are interesting. Tyus Jones, first of all. I know you said you don't like restricted free agents, but what do you think about Tyus? Uh, he was a guy that I kind of wanted the Suns to go after uh, this offseason um, with kind of what the Wolves were doing and it looking like he may be uh, you know, available uh, in terms of, you know, them bringing Derek Rose back again and him maybe being shunted to that third point guard role again in, in Minnesota. So, yeah, I think he definitely fits that second group mold of, um, you know, you just deciding that you want to either get younger or, or go in a slightly different direction. And then here's one that's controversial. It's it's one of those upside, <laughs> downside things. And also, it's going to depend a lot on what we see from him this year because, you know, there's a big question marks with this guy. But what do you think about D'Angelo Russell? D'Angelo is a funny one. He's kind of, I've got this list here, Max. A question I'll throw at you now, actually, is uh-huh. kind of, who would be your least favorite for the Suns to kind of go all in on next offseason out of Bledsoe, Goran Dragic, <laughs> and D'Angelo Russell? Very, very, very easily Eric Bledsoe, not hard. <laughs> all, all have links back to the Suns or obviously Devin Booker in Russell's case. But, you know, I think they're kind of three danger names that for me next off season, if the Suns really honed in on one of those guys as they're like the target, uh, you know, I'd be a little bit apprehensive, I think. I wouldn't worry yourself too much about them going after Eric Bledsoe. I don't think either party is going to be interested in that one. But uh, D'Angelo Russell's interesting, though, because I, I want to see what he looks like this year. Because theoretically, there's a lot to like about a Booker-D'Angelo Russell pairing. Uh, D'Angelo Russell's a—maybe not—he hasn't really shown it yet, but he's going to be a good shooter, I think. He definitely has the mechanics, and he has sort of the, the pull-up game that you want to see out of a, a kind of a lead-initiating shooter. He's also—he's got great vision. He doesn't put it together consistently, but he actually—I think he had like a 35% assist rate or something like that this year. Like, that dude could pass. Uh, the defense is really the question mark, right? But— He's big. Him and, uh, him and Devin Booker are both bigger guards. And I think that theoretically you can kind of get away with having those guys play together if they just make incremental improvements defensively. And I don't know if you listen to this yet. If you haven't, you should, and every listener should. But Vecini and, uh, and Cole Zwicker had uh, a podcast recently where they broke down like the, the top 25 young players, I think under 23 players. And Sam Vecini actually had D'Angelo Russell very high. I think he was like 21 or 22 in the whole league. And he just still believes in a lot of those those traits that made him the number two overall pick. And one of the things he mentioned was that D'Angelo Russell, while his foot speed is not great, he actually is sort of like a smart defender. And there's some world, I think, where Booker and Russell could develop into a pretty interesting backcourt. Yeah, I think that's a, a it's a modern backcourt in terms of you know both players being able to shoot the lights out from deep both play make a little whilst not being kind of primary guys themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably fits very well with what we've spoken a lot in terms of kind of Igor's system and what he's run in the past with that Slovenian team and, you know, kind of even what Utah have done this most recent season with the ball being in Donovan Mitchell's hands a lot and and Ricky Rubio playing that kind of secondary role. So, yeah, I think it's an interesting point. I, I think you make a good point that he's kind of... Um, you know, maybe becoming undervalued in the league and, and certainly looks to already be on the outside looking in maybe in Brooklyn. So, yeah, I think he's probably the, the kind of free agent that no one else is really targeting when it comes to July 1 next year and, and maybe the Suns can swoop in and, and get a decent deal there. So I definitely wouldn't rule that one out, Max. Yeah, it helps that he's buddies with Devin Booker too. Those guys are close, so that helps. And then also... Like I said before, it's just going to depend so much on what he looks like this year, right? I mean, there's a chance he just comes out and he's a star. He has that in him. 
if he has another middling season like the ones he's had, though, maybe he's just less attractive for us, too. So, I don't know. He's a tough one to evaluate at this stage, I think. He is. He probably sits somewhere between my kind of group two and three, and, and I'll, I'll mention my group three now, which is, you know, there's a group there of kind of George Hill, maybe Jer- Jeremy Lin, uh, Darren Collison and, and Corey Joseph, both both in Indiana, who, you know, all in either weird situations in terms of the team that they're on maybe not being very good next season or they're not being kind of enough minutes in, in Joseph and, and Collison's case to, to kind of go around on the paces. So, you know, I think that that group is kind of all guys that, you know, aren't exactly exciting as as free agent off uh, off season acquisitions, but uh, you know we might see the Suns uh, go after just because the point guard play they get this season just really isn't up to scratch, and you know maybe they even go after them a little bit earlier, Max, and, and trade for one of them during the season. George Hill though, he's tough for me because I think George Hill actually theoretically is like an awesome fit with Devin Booker, right? Because he's got that size, he can defend, he's a great shooter. Problem with him is he's old and can't stay healthy, and. I'm not sure you're going to try to build your sort of up-and-coming team around a guy who's old and can't stay healthy. Yeah, I definitely have him in that kind of pack of guys that the Suns might look to trade for this season if everything goes, you know, really poorly because he's he's definitely not a long-term guy in terms of building with Booker. Uh, but in theory, on paper, he is the the type of guy which, you know, they're pretty rare to find that fits really well with Booker as a great off-ball shooter. He's got that history kind of on the old Pacers teams uh, and a great defender, but... Uh, you know, we just haven't seen a lot of that in in more recent times uh, with him either being on the Kings or or not really being able to be healthy on the on the recent Cav teams. But you know, is that something that you would look for? I, I know that you know TJ Warren is a is a contract that would probably be most obvious to get off in a situation like that. Would you you know bring in Hill for I guess essentially half a season, maybe pick up his option as you alluded to. He's only got one million guaranteed for the following season. But you know, would you do almost a straight swap there, Max? Wait, you're telling me I can get rid of TJ too? <laughs> just kidding, everybody. I don't hate him that much. Uh, yeah, probably. I just think he fits the roster a little bit better. Uh, we need more shooting, and I think he would provide that. I, yeah, maybe he gets hurt, but also you get off of him sooner. So one of the things that TJ doesn't make a ton of money, but he does make enough money where he, you know, he cuts into your your cap. If they decided to just part ways with Hill, they'd have a lot more space next summer. Yeah, and I've kind of got another little group of guys here that I, I looked around the league for around that TJ salary of twelve million, and you know, I, I'll mm-hmm. call this how much do you want to get off TJ Warren, Max? And uh, <laughs> you've got uh, Delhi in Milwaukee, who's who's got two years left mm. at ten million dollars. Would you do something around a straight swap there? Hmm. Mm, yes, just because you're my Australian podcast, so it's just for you. <laughs> uh, Darren Collison, just the one year at $10 million. Let's say we have to put a sweetener in there, maybe. Definitely. I think Darren Collison's actually a pretty underrated player. He shot 45% from three last season. Uh, Jeremy Lin in Atlanta, one year at, at $13 million, the same as TJ, basically. This one's testing me because I do like to get off TJ's contract, open the space, but I really don't think Jeremy Lin makes any sense for the Sun. So, psh, man, that's tough. I think I ultimately do it. I think I know the answer to this next one. You've got Schroeder three years at 15. <laughs> you found the guy. I would not trade TJ Warren for Dennis Schroeder. 
And another interesting one, another Australian connection, the, at the Spurs, uh, Paddy Mills has three years left of $12 million instead of Ooh. TJ's four years at $12 million. That's a fun one. If things go really bad this season, Max, which is what I'm really alluding to here, is you know if the Suns make a panic move, uh, is that one that you'd maybe look at? I think you'd make worse panic moves than that. Like, Paddy Mills is good. Like, that can shoot the ball. Uh, he's got, obviously, that veteran experience playing with San Antonio. Yeah, I mean... I don't think they should actively try to do that, but if they're panicking, that's not the worst way to panic. Yeah, I just think there's, you know, that's a group of guys that kind of earn around TJ's salary. I, I, I didn't want to get too complicated with trade scenarios, so just looking at really simple solutions and, yeah, it, it is worst case scenario, but I think it is something that Suns fans need to be aware of. All right, David, my turn to put you on the spot. Let's do it. Putting aside your group one, which, what, it was Kyrie, Kimba, and somebody else? Maybe Jeff Teague. Maybe Jeff Teague. Okay, put aside those guys. You can wave your magic wand and have one of the rest of the point guard class be on the Phoenix Suns to start next season. Which one is it? Can I have two, Max? (laughs) Why why the hell not? Have two. I'm really interested in Ricky Rubio and and what he did under Igor. I think that in terms of defense and playmaking is a, a really interesting one for the Suns next year. And, you know, as I've already touched on a couple of times this pod, um, if the Suns you know, can't get involved in some of those bigger tier free agents, I'd like to see them really hone in on a guy like Patrick Beverly. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he's similar to Oreza in that he just kind of wants to be wanted. And if you, on July 1st, that was kind of one of the first calls that you made because, you know, maybe you did some pre-work and realized that some of those bigger guys aren't going to, you know, entertain Phoenix. Uh, I'd really look at him and I'd maybe even look at trying to trade for him this season, Max, and and getting his bird rights kind of like the Suns did with uh, Rashawn Holmes. Yeah, if the Clippers don't have a great season, which if they kind of underachieve, I think that Beverly would be really an awesome trade deadline target. What do you think it would take, Max? Because he's kind of got a weird $5 million salary. And as you noted, the Clippers are in this weird situation. So what kind of an asset? Are we talking like the Milwaukee pick? Is that too much? It's going to come down to the market for him, obviously. None of this is in a vacuum, right? And I can actually see a lot of contenders being interested in trading Patrick Beverly. As we mentioned, he's kind of a perfect fit with a, you know, sort of a ball-dominant primary initiator. Yep. So it's going to really depend on what other teams are interested in him. I think the Milwaukee pick is probably the high end of what it would take. Because he's only got that, you know, it would be it's just trade a rental for half a season. I think there's a chance you can get away with a second-round pick, particularly if the Suns aren't great and just kind of use their own second-round pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's about that's about right. But yeah, you know, I'd be willing to overpay slightly, as I said, to get those bird rights. And uh, if you were kind of really focused on re-signing him, then uh, you know the overpayment isn't so bad if and when that happens. So, David, I think you picked two very reasonable options. I think Rubio and Beverly are stabilizers. They're great vets. They'd be perfect for us. I'm super unreasonable, so for the reasons I sort of mentioned earlier, I think I'd wave my wand and put D'Angelo Russell on the team. Just go for high upside. Let's do it. Yeah, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, I thought that might be your answer based on your question before. And uh, in terms of going all in and and really, you know, trying to uh, bank on a guy that, you know, had a lot higher upside as a younger guy, I think, um, you know, he's definitely someone to to focus on this season to see how he might fit with Booker. And as you noted, he is a Booker friend and and Booker has a a lot of power within the Suns franchise now, it seems, and, and can get things his way. So that'll definitely be something to watch and uh, wouldn't be the worst case scenario next offseason, I wouldn't have thought. So, David, let's move on to the draft. As we did with our Power Forward episode, we're going to review both free agency and the draft, but we're kind of sort of by obligation to look at the draft because there ain't a whole lot there, David. There's only a couple of names. 
Yeah, there's really no top-end talent in terms of point guard, which is the first thing that I've noticed looking at this class. Uh, I'll, I'll give another shout-out to the Steepian. They've, they've kind of become my uh, my go-to place to, to catch up on these guys and, and start my research on the 2019 class. And yeah, you won't see any point guard names at, at the top of their list or, or, or of anyone's list, really. So uh, it's an interesting quandary for the Suns to be in. I don't think they're going to get anything from the draft in terms of a long-term uh, point guard option uh, and as we noted when you've got Shaq and Okobo already developing on the roster maybe the draft isn't the best place uh, to go but you know we would be remiss not to to mention a few names here Max and and, and see and, and give the listeners you know at least guys to watch next next season yeah we'll, we'll do that real quick though before I list a couple of names I do want to you touched on a point there that I think is a really good one and that's that the Suns want to be good like sooner rather than later right I think that's the plan yeah <laughs> and drafting a rookie point guard for the 2019 draft probably not the best way to be good right away uh but I'll mention a few so Trey Jones is probably the best prospect I think he, he's gonna play for Duke this season he's been overshadowed by the fact that the three best prospects in all of college basketball are on his team yep but he's all he's the best point guard prospect and he's also on that team so it'll be interesting to see how he runs the show with those guys uh and then the other guy is sort of a sleeper and it's uh right now he's really not getting a lot of mainstream attention. It's really only the Stepien who you mentioned, and particularly Jackson Hoy, who I love. Everyone should read Jackson Hoy. He's great. His name is Job Morant. I think that's how you pronounce that. He plays yep. for Murray State. He was a freshman last year. He's got a really nice size wingspan combo, sort of exactly what you're looking for, the whole 6'3", 6'8", whatever, you know, wingspan thing. Yep. The way that he was described to me by Jackson and others, it's sort of like if you gave Shea Gilgis Alexander more of an athletic burst. Yep. Which is obviously extremely tempting if that was a thing. Uh, he's still very raw, underdeveloped, but that's somebody who, kind of like Trey Young last year, you could see kind of shoot up boards. Yeah, I think you've touched on the most important point there, and that's that he's kind of the best Booker partner going forward uh, in this draft class. We touched on a lot with the, the draft speak before the 2018 draft, looking at, you know, who might fit long-term next to Devin Booker, and we've, you know, spoken about it, you know, throughout this entire pod is you know he's probably the one to watch for Suns fans in terms of a long-term fit with Booker um you know I'll note that you know the rest of the kind of point guards that are being talked about right now are all kind of 6'2 6'1 even six foot and under so guys like Bowman uh, Edwards and, and even Hands, uh, who was in last year's draft before pulling out, they're all kind of undersized small guys who you know just really aren't ideal fits on this Suns team. So not guys that I'll be, really be looking at unless they have you know that type of Trey Young season as you mentioned. But yeah, I'll take the opportunity to give one more shout out to a guy that I spoke about a lot of last season's uh, draft coverage, and that is uh, William McDowell White, who's another Aussie, and and he does have size. He's he's six foot five. He also pulled out of the draft and went back to Europe but you know he's certainly not going to be a top prospect talked about I wouldn't have thought but I have seen a lot of uh, draft people talk about him in in kind of the international category and and someone to keep an eye on and for any of our Australian listeners he is the uh, son of former AFL player Daryl White so uh, I'll be keeping a keen eye on him Max and uh, I'm still rooting for an Aussie on the Suns team uh, sooner rather than later, hopefully. Yeah, and the thing about William McDowell White, which I like, and I think this is if the Suns do draft a point guard in next year's draft, I think they're probably going to go a little older. He'll be 21 by the time the next draft happens, and I think rather than go for another Okobo or another you know younger guy 
who they have to develop. They'll probably go for, you know, maybe like, you know, quote unquote, the Mikhail Bridges of point guards, somebody who's a little older, a little more experienced, who can come in right away and contribute. Yeah. And, you know, we may even see the Suns draft him late and, and kind of keep him in Europe for even a couple more seasons until he's really ready to come over and, and slot in straight away. So, yeah, I'm rooting for a guy like McDowell White, particularly with the Aussie connection. Okay, David, anything left in the draft or should we move on to seven seconds or less? No, I think we've we've covered point guard from you know start to finish here, Max. So let's let's wrap this one up. Let's do it. So in case you're a first-time listener, seven seconds or less is a segment that we do every week where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other has not prepared and for which the other only has seven seconds or less to answer, except for we always break that rule. David, I'm asking you questions this week. Are you ready? Ready. There was a fun question on Twitter this week. I can't remember who tweeted it out, but I'll give you credit when we uh, post the description of the podcast. But the fun question was, how many games would this Suns team win if Steve Nash, prime Steve Nash, were the point guard? Yeah, that was, that was a fun question and, and one that I, I answered on Twitter at the time. And I believe I said 10 extra games. So okay. my, my kind of high side at the moment is 35 for this Suns team. So I would say 45 and a, a low playoff seed, Max. You know, I think they actually might be even a little bit better than that because Prime Steve Nash just makes everyone else on the team so much better. Like, I'd imagine Booker and Aiton would just be much, much better players with him. And I, so not just the fact that he'd be a super efficient monster point guard, but he just, you know, rising tides, raise all boats kind of thing. Yeah, and I did see a lot of feedback uh, kind of, you know, alluding to that very thing, Max. So, uh, yeah, I think it would be a positive thing for the Suns for sure. Okay, question number two. You can take any point guard all time, excluding Magic Johnson, and put them on the Suns right now in their prime. Which one do you take? Uh, I won't say Steve Nash here because of the <laughs> last question. Um, I'm going to go a guy that I absolutely love and followed a lot as a little kid before I was a Suns fan, actually, and that is Gary Payton, who's very much uh, Patrick Beverly. Uh, on steroids, let's say. So I, th- I think he'd be the perfect partner next to Booker and the perfect guy for this team. That's so funny you loved him as a kid because he was quite literally my favorite player as a kid. I had his jersey and just... I, I think I cried when the 96 finals ended. I think we are, we're, we're working out we've got more in common than we knew, Max. <laughs> right? Uh, Peyton's a great answer, maybe the better answer. My answer was just Seth Curry because Seth Curry is just such a freak. I just put him on the team regardless. That's true. That's, that's a cheat code. Okay, let's go to the final question here. If I tell you that one of Knight, Okobo, or Shaq will be in the All-Star game next season, which one will it be? Not that, no, so let me clarify. Not 18-19, 19-20. Ooh, that's a tough one, Max. Uh, I'll eliminate Harrison straight away because I just don't think he has the type of game to get there. I'd love to say Okobo here because it would mean that he just starts red hot. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave some hope here for uh, Knight to, to get back to the player he was before he came to Phoenix um, and and get that all star appearance that he was probably robbed of uh, that he should have got in uh, in Milwaukee before he came to the Suns. Max, it's a fun way to close the podcast. One of Brennan Nice's detractors is now saying he has a chance to make the All Star game in this season. <laughs> okay, everyone, thanks so much for listening. I think that's it for us. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at, at maxmcc11. You can follow David on Twitter at the Four Point Play, and you can follow our podcast on Twitter at. 7SOL pod. As we mentioned earlier, we really, really appreciate whenever anybody rates and reviews us. It's just, it's awesome. It means a lot to us. Uh, the feedback is appreciated. David, thank you so much for joining me. This was fun. Thanks, Max. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and we'll be back next episode with another guest. We will. Until then.
Hey guys, as Max mentioned earlier, we had to edit out a lot of the pod that became irrelevant after the night trade. But if you've made it this far without turning off, then I hope you will enjoy the planned Did You Know segment before the big trade went down. A little hidden track for you loyal listeners out there. All right, David, I think we're ready for Did You Know. All right, Max, we're down to our last positional pod, and I'm going to argue that from a historical standpoint, we have saved the best till last. Phoenix has had a pretty storied recent history with point guards, despite not getting the best out of the position of late, which I am sure we will get into shortly. Now, you've been on a bit of a roll lately with the Did You Know answers, so I'm going to lob this one up for you and let you finish with a flurry. Did you know there are 37 Suns players who have served between 5 and 13 seasons for the franchise, and 10 of them have played point guard at one point in their careers? Max, let's see how many of those you can name. So it's point guards who have played between 5 and 13 seasons? Is that what you said? Correct. Okay, so Steve Nash. One. Kevin Johnson. Two. Jason Kidd. Three. Uh, Eric Bledsoe. Four. Goran Dragic. Five. Uh, Stefan Merber didn't get that many, did he? No. Okay, so that's what hey, I, I, I was. I qualified that one. Um, so I got to go further back. What about is this Paul Westfall? That's more of a shooting guard, right? Yeah, he counts six. Okay. Barbosa, you counting him? He counts seven. Okay. Started to drop. Like, can you give me any uh, any hints for the last few? Uh, no. Okay. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll settle for seventy percent. That's not too bad. That's pretty good. So uh, I think we missed Jeff Hornacek there with six years. Uh, yeah. Uh, Kyle Macy was another one with five years, and the only other one that you missed, and, and it's pretty good effort by you, Max. But uh, the final guy, which I was hoping you were going to miss, is Anthony Hardaway. Oh wow! I didn't realize he had that much time. So, uh, firstly, he was a bit of a combo guard like Barbosa, Hornacek, and West Paul, as you noted. Starting as a point with the Magic, playing a little bit more as a two in Phoenix before ending his career as a small forward. Secondly, he also missed practically a whole season with a serious knee injury for the Suns. It was the 2000-2001 season where Penny only managed four games before having microfracture surgery on his knee. I'm sure you and the listeners can already see where I might be going with this, but to spell it out, I am, of course, drawing comparisons to current projected starting point guard, Brandon Knight. Knight was traded to the Suns to play alongside Eric Bledsoe before the rise of Devin Booker, which saw Knight relegated to the bench. And of course, we are now seeing the return of Knight after a serious knee injury. But Max, did you know Penny was traded to the Suns to play alongside Jason Kidd in a combo that was labelled Backcourt 2000? A backcourt combo that was pretty lethal when healthy. Injury cut that down in the 2001 season, as I mentioned, before Hardaway returned to t- for 2002 fully healthy again. This time he was joining forces with Marbury, who you also mentioned before, but the Suns recently acquired another 20-year-old young stud who pushed Penny out of the starting lineup. On this occasion, it was Joe Johnson, who relegated Hardaway to the bench for the first time in his career, which of course brings up more comparisons to Brandon Knight. Now, as I mentioned, Max, Hardaway returned after the surgery and put up a solid 12 points, 4.4 rebounds, and 4.1 assists in 80 games played, but with a pretty miserable 41% from the field and 27.7% from three. 
Hopefully, for all of our sakes, we can get 80 games out of Knight this season, but with a stat line slightly more impressive. Final bit of Hardaway Knight trivia here for you, Max. We saw the Suns this offseason trade for a pick that they already had previously before trading for Brandon Knight. That, of course, became Mikael Bridges. Perhaps a good omen here because the trade for Hardaway actually included the Suns' own pick that became Amari Stoudemire, which the Suns managed to get back two years later before selecting Stat in the draft. Hmm. Hardaway was then traded out of Phoenix along with Marbury to the Knicks before being traded one more time in his career from the Knicks back to the Orlando Magic. That trade, Max, actually included current son Trevor Ariza. So to finish, Max, with Knight entering his fourth season as a Phoenix Sun, he still has a chance to see out his contract in the desert and join the list of point guards with five or more seasons service. I guess a lot is going to depend on how this season goes. So before we end the segment, Max, one quick game for you. Penny had career earnings of $120 million in a career spanning 14 seasons. Knight, of course, signed the $70 million extension with the Suns, which takes his total up to $80 million once he's played eight seasons. How many seasons total will Knight play in the NBA, and will he pass Penny's $120 million? Um, he definitely won't pass Penny's money if we're counting Little Penny. <laughs> uh, but I would say he will play, he'll play on another contract after this one. He'll never surpass Penny's total earnings. No, I don't think so. So, uh, thanks for humoring me there. How about we get into it right now and start discussing if the Suns will get adequate point guard play from Knight and a few others this season. Thanks, David. That was a fun one. I always like the ones where you can find those weird little uh, parallels, like with the Sotomayor uh, thing there. Yeah, that was that was a cool one to put together. Thanks, Max. 